Our second reading today comes from John chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. For do you, you do, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to, give, to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Here ends our reading. Grace and mercy be to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today and all through Lent, we've been going through the Gospel of John. Every sermon that you've heard in this season of Lent, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday, has been from the Gospel of John. Have you noticed? Well, whatever the case, as we go through this gospel, as we read story after story, I find it so easy to focus in on just that one story. And I, I'm always worried that I'm missing the forest for the trees. But you know, to extend the metaphor just a little bit further, uh, it's not bad to study individual trees. Any, any scientist will tell you that 
You can, you can readily find entire sermons and even books out of an individual, individual cell of a tree, right? And that's true of the Gospel of John too. Individual stories are great. You can make entire sermons and entire books out of, well, just John 3.16 easily. But today I want to encourage us to take a step back, to zoom out a little bit, to set aside the microscope and the binoculars, and to zoom out and get a big picture look at John, and especially one theme in the Gospel of John, the theme of authority. This theme of authority and power and control is so important throughout the Gospel, and many other themes are. But as we'll see as we hop from one story to the next, going through and seeing this theme develop, well, it's, it's an important part of who Jesus is and what he means for us to understand what his authority really is. There's a lot to cover, so we'll jump right in with our first story. We could go earlier, but I would like to start with the time where Jesus casts those money changers out of the temple. When you think about authority, there's not much bigger things you can do than toss chairs around a room. <laughs> I mean, you, you better hope that the person tossing chairs around a room has authority, right? Jesus is, is throwing, ta overturning tables, casting people out, saying, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. This certainly displays authority, but it really does ruffle the feathers of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are upset by what Jesus is doing, and this makes good sense, right? Somebody tosses chairs around in here, and we would be upset. But if that somebody is Pastor Ebert, well, maybe he's got a good reason. Maybe it's a sermon illustration, we'd say. Maybe we give him a pass. And that happens here with Jesus. Jesus has authority. He's done miracles. He's calling disciples. He's turned water into wine. That's amazing. Maybe, maybe he's got a point here. The Father's house shouldn't be a house of trade. He gets a pass, even if he's ruffling feathers, even if he's making people upset. His authority does more here than we might expect. So Nicodemus comes next. He's the very next story. He's a leader in the church, we're told, and he's very respectful. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, as respectful and educated and powerful as Nicodemus is, he's a leader of the Pharisees. Jesus' answers to Nicodemus in this moment make Nicodemus's head spin. He's always, dis he's always in this interaction seeming disadvantaged, like he can't keep up with this young, upstart Jesus guy. Who is he? How is it that Jesus is making such a skilled teacher like Nicodemus so flustered? How is it that Jesus makes Nicodemus, teacher of Israel, seem so powerless, and yet Jesus seems so powerful. Now, we could dive into the exact story, but let's move on for very, the very next thing that happened. John the Baptist comes onto the scene, and he's also one with authority. He's got disciples. He's got power. He's baptizing people, but he, far from being upset by Jesus, he's deferential. He says of Jesus, this Jesus guy, he must increase and I must decrease. John doesn't feel threatened by Jesus at all. 
John accepts and welcomes Jesus' position of power. He exalts Jesus as he says, he who, is, he who comes from above is above all. And the Father has given all things into his hand, Jesus' hand. Now after John the Baptist, yet another man with authority comes onto the scene. The very next story. I, I believe this is not a coincidence. The very next story, an official comes to Jesus. The official's son is sick, and we don't know much about him, but the official begs Jesus for help. My son is sick. Can you heal him? And all we know happens, Jesus does. He, he hears the request. He blesses the man. He heals the man's son. And it sounds so simple, but, but that's the end of the story. That's, we move on to the next thing. This man with authority recognized Jesus' authority, treated him, accepted him as if he truly had the authority that he has, and his son was healed. But this is quite the contrast with the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't want to accept Jesus' authority at all. The Pharisees find out that Jesus has healed another person, and far from happy, far from welcoming, they are having a fit. They're upset Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They're upset that he's breaking what they perceive to be the law. They see Jesus' authority running up against their own, competing with their own authority. They want to do something about it. It becomes even worse when Jesus calls God Father. He calls God Father, and this might not seem like a big deal to us, but... <laughs> John tells us what it meant to them. We might say it in the Lord's Prayer, but John tells us that when Jesus says it, what they hear is that he is calling God his Father and making himself equal with God. Equal with God. That's not what I mean when I say the Lord's Prayer. But that's what they hear. That's why they're upset. That's why, well, after he said this, he wants to kill, they want to kill him. They resolve to kill him. Jesus isn't just a teacher. He's claiming equality with God. We have to stone him, put him to death. He's a false teacher. And yet they fail. They fail to pull off what they intend to do. And so we move on with our story, and there are lots of stories that follow. And yet I'm going to pick up the pace just a little bit. Next, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And after that, he walks on water. Two amazing miracles, as if to say, do you believe me yet? <laughs> Do you trust me yet? Do you believe that I have the power and authority that I'm claiming? Well, whatever their answer. In the following chapter, Jesus begins making what we call the I am statements. I am the resurrection we just heard today. He calls his own body and his own blood true food and true drink. A statement said with authority, but one which actually drives some of his disciples away. After this, the disciples who remain, well, they're the ones who say to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They recognize Jesus' authority, and they accept it. And because they, they stay with Jesus, they stay in the light, they continue to, to learn from him and grow with him and develop, they continue to learn and experience and discover who Jesus really is. Now after that, after these disciples become more convinced 
Well, the Jews and the Pharisees, they, they become ever more confused. The next few chapters is question after question. Who are you? Accusation after accusation. You have a demon. You're of the devil. They try to levy these, these accusations against him. They ask him, show us a sign so we can believe you. Where's your father? Who are you? They throw all of these at Jesus, but this, this backfires. For as they levy these accusations, they come back upon themselves and they have to answer, who are we? Who are we? First, they answer, we're Abraham's children. Abraham is our father. Then, then they, they change gears in a surprising fashion after their earlier confusion. And they say, God is our Father. We have one Father, even God, they say. And yet Jesus, with all the authority in the world, says no. He says, you are of your Father, the devil. And as you can imagine, this does not go over well. But he makes it worse. Because Jesus next says, before Abraham was, I am. One more I am statement, and one which is even clearer than all the rest. For Jesus has in this given an alarming answer to their questions. Where does Jesus come from? God. Where does he get his authority? God. Who does he claim to be? I am. God. The God of the Old Testament, just as much as the God today. Jesus claims to be God, and so the Jews resolve again to kill him. And again, their plans are foiled. They try to trap him and trick him, and they fail again and again. And there's so many more Bible stories we could explore, but I'm going to jump ahead again to our reading today. Lazarus, raised from the dead. Most amazing miracle of all so far. Lazarus raised from the dead. And, and we usually focus on that part, but I'd like to draw your attention to what happened after. People came to the Pharisees and said, did you hear what Jesus did? And the Pharisees, as more and more people believe, more and more people marvel, the Pharisees say, what are we going to do? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Caiaphas, the chief priest, stands up and says, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand. It's better for you that one man should perish than that the whole nation should perish. And so they resolve again, a third time, <laughs> to take his life. But this time, they're going to succeed. It's worth noting that it's against their laws to kill they're not supposed to kill people. It's in the commandments. They take that one pretty serious too. But if there's anything they've learned from those Roman rulers, those Roman authorities, it's that a well-placed knife will solve many problems. Got a problem? Cut it out? Move on. Your authority is safe. And so they resolve to kill him. And they'll succeed and I bet they thought they won. Problem solved, we move on. 
But we know the reality, don't we? We know not just what happened on that cross of Good Friday, but what happened Easter Sunday. That Jesus, like Lazarus, rose from the dead. That Jesus, like Lazarus, conquered death. That Jesus, like Lazarus, well, Jesus is nothing like Lazarus. Because Jesus is the one with all power and authority. And that's the truth about Jesus and them too, because Jesus himself from the very beginning said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Lazarus never said that. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Even his death was according to plan. So the chief priests and Pharisees, they plotted, they schemed, but it was all for nothing. They had worldly power, authority. They used it, but it was all part of the plan. In the end, God's will will be done. And over and over, John confronts them and us with this fact. Jesus is the one in control. Jesus is the one come from God. Jesus is the one with authority. So what are you going to do about it? Because the answers to all the other questions the Jews were asking follow when you know that Jesus has all power. Jesus is the one from God, the Son of God, God himself here on earth. Because if you want to know who he is, you don't go to anybody else while Jesus is around. You go to him. Listen to him. See the works that he, do, he does. Those will tell you who he is. What works does he do? Come and see. Let Jesus speak. Let Jesus act. For if he is who he says he is, all bets are off. Why are you standing around when you can go to him? And you know, when you look at the Gospels and you have our 2,000 years back vantage point, you can begin to say, man, they should have known. The guy caused a blind man, a blind man to see, caused a lame man to walk. He, he did all of these amazing things. He rose Lazarus from the dead. He walked on water. How could they not have known who he was? How could they not have treated him with the authority that he should have had? How could they not have trusted him? But we have our own trust problems, don't we? The own ways that we, when we look out at the problems of this world and the problems of our life, where we begin to, to waver just a little bit. We see the ways the world is changing faster than we can keep up with, and we begin to worry. We see the way the south side is changing. Maybe we worry. We look, we look at, at, at the people around us and we say, why don't you just live more like God calls you to be and do more what God calls you to do and be more who you're supposed to And we look at our own family and we say the same thing, don't we? We're losing control of them. We're losing control of our city. We're losing control of ourselves. Because in our own struggle with sin, we don't live up to who we want to be and who we think we should, Right? What about Calvary? Where will Calvary be in 50, 100 years as the community changes around it? It's easy to fear when we zoom in on our problems. They look awfully big, don't they? With the binoculars or the microscope, our problems, the world's problems, our community's problems, they, they look huge. But today, 
as we have our, our lasers set focus down so low on every little problem and every little problem, Jesus invites us to take a step back and get a God's eye view. Because when we do those problems, they get smaller and smaller. When we see the, the problems that they faced in Jesus' day, and, and we say, man, it should have been obvious. Maybe just maybe we realize that the problems that the church faces in our day, that we face, maybe those problems are small too. Not for us, but for the God who has promised to us. In the epistle reading we just heard, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For who is he? He is the one who died to conquer death. He, he's the one who came not to condemn the world but to save it. He's the one sent by God because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He is the one that the Bible tells us to whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the one in control who's got it all in the palm of his hand, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And so, for each of you, may the very peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we think on the problems of our lives, give us that confidence that whatever they may be, whatever they may turn out, whatever way they may go, the way we want or not, that all things work together for the good of those who believe. Bless us to trust in Jesus always. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.